Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. In a week where Stoke City under-21s draw Port Vale in the Checker Trade Trophy in a sort of Potteries derby, we look at things that simply aren't the same without the original proper lineup. Anyway, here, here, joining me on the Wizards of Drivel podcast is Tom Thrower. Oh, I see what you did there. Thanks. <laughs> and Ben Rowley. I'm not offended. Hey up, hey up lads. How are we doing? Wonderfully. Well, Never better. No. There's been no Stoke this week, so nothing to be disappointed by. Well, yeah, exactly. I've had one of the best football weekends I've had in ages, and <laughs> the lack of Stoke has been 99% of that. Yeah, bloody Stoke, eh? The worst. Hate them. We've gradually <laughs> tried to make this less and less of a Stoke podcast as as we've gone on. Uh, try to just uh, wean people off Stoke bit by bit by gradually talking about them less and less and talking about either other football things or Pan's Labyrinth for some reason we did or, you know, just poppies, things like that. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Yes. The uh, one nugget of Stoke news that has got uh, certainly Stoke fans on social media all a flutter is the news that there is a Potteries Derby coming. There is going to be the first Potteries Derby in 16 years. Port Vale will host Stoke City in the Checker Trade Trophy. Tom, are you excited about this? I mean, am I excited that our arch nemesises and rivals are going to face the might of Jakob Haugard. Of course I'm excited about Port Vale having to face Jakob Haugard. I mean, yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, woo. Great. I was like six when the last one was, so I didn't really understand football at that age. Are you in any way kind of put off by the fact that this is in the... Uh, Checker Trade Trophy, which we're all meant to hate, between Stoke City under 23s, which nobody really follows, and probably a kind of a mixed ability Port Vale side. Um, well, I think mixed ability is being kind, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but am I excited for it? Um, Stoke City aren't very exciting at the moment, so so to have something a little bit different is quite nice, I suppose. Most competitions need a bit of excitement for somebody to get excited about it. You know, this this could be the little moment which sees Stoke fans love the Checker Trade Trophy from now on. Uh, it's a bit like the Nations League, like when that got announced, nobody was really bothered. But then you get down to nitty gritty what was today. And I bet you didn't find an England fan not on the edge of their seat today. So, yeah, maybe this could be our little trophy that we win. Because we're not winning any others, are we, boys? Oh, oh ye of little faith. Um, well, I think the FA, uh, yeah. I think the cup's got our name on it this year. I've just got a really good feeling that we're going to win the cup. Um, but yeah, there, there's been a kind of divided reaction on social media between uh, kind of Stoke fans who, because of the nature of the competition with Premier League and Championship under twenty one sides being in there alongside League One and Two sides. It's not it's not the same competition that we won two times. And in a sense that people have argued that 
it's not really a proper Potteries derby as a result. Tom, is it is it a proper Potteries derby? Um, I mean, provided we win, yeah, of course it is. If not, then it is just a <laughs> silly little competition. Well done for beating our kids. I don't know, like, for, like, so we go back to it. For me, it's a proper Potteries derby, probably because I've never experienced a Potteries derby before. I don't know what I should expect. So why not have our kids play them? I find that quite amusing and speaks of the um, the difference between our two clubs. And it's probably why, I mean, I, I don't like Port Vale, but I don't think I hate them. I don't know. I don't know what I should feel about them because I don't really know what they are, and I'm not saying that in like a really demeaning, trying to take the piss out of them way. I genuinely sort of my emotions towards Port Vale are entirely secondhand, so I'm quite looking forward to having some first-hand emotions towards them, especially once they've beaten us because that's what's going to happen. Yeah, th- this is partly it, isn't it? Because certain people our age. Uh, have either never experienced a, a Potteries derby or have been too young to properly appreciate it. I've been to Vale Park once and that was to see Chase Town play them in the FA Cup. My cousin scored against them, long-range free kick. Bit of a fluke, we'll take it. Um, but it's, it's, it's slightly odd to think that a lot of Stoke fans are talking about how we will probably fill their away end. But Port Vale fans are talking about how they're still kind of maybe boycotting this competition. I mean, it's hard to tell when Vale fans boycott anything. Are we being a bit too kind of like bad modern football fans by supporting this competition? Which certainly I'm not a fan of these kind of under 23s playing proper football clubs in this competition. And I want the this trophy to be the same competition that we won in 1992 and 2000. Are, are we kind of part of the problem in that we're helping, uh, f- you know, finance and keep this pretty ropey competition going? Um, I mean, I suppose we're part of the problem because we're fans of one of the football clubs that are in it, that are hosting a young tournament. To be honest, my conscience is pretty clear on it. I, I never cared about the competition anyway, probably because we've been not in it during my time as a Stoke City fan. Um, and if we're looking at it from, you know, trying to develop youth and push them through from that point of view, it's one of the only ways where players like ours are going to get exposure to these kind of teams because they're certainly not getting it through the first team, apart from like Tom Edwards, maybe. Um, it's good for them. And... You know, we've been it for a couple of years now and our youth seem to be really pushing on. Whether it's that, whether it's the change in the senior management at the club, whether it's the changes to the academy that were made, the upgrades that are starting to finally bear fruit, I don't know. But from our point of view, and that's the only way that I take this, being in this competition is beneficial for us. Yeah, and I suppose you mentioned like the Nations League earlier, Ben, and England's success in that. And I think a lot of England's success has been born of this new approach that they took, I can't remember how many years ago, um, towards sort of developing youth and putting a focus on getting younger players playing sort of at high levels, whether that be like facility-wise or taking the step to introduce youth teams into senior competitions. And I'm totally sympathetic to sort of the fans whose clubs 
this is a big competition, well, was a big competition for, and it's been a bit devalued and derailed by Premier League teams just muscling in to give their youth players time. But I, I don't, I suppose from a selfish point of view, as a fan of one of those big clubs in inverted quotation marks and someone who's falling in love with a young England team full of exciting prospects who are trying as hard as they can, then I find it quite hard to not think that maybe it's a good thing that we have these young players being given a chance at this level. The good thing in terms of this fixture for Stoke is it's the it's the Pottery's derby that kind of suits us. It's a... Um, because if we don't win, we've got the excuse of it's only our reserves, or it's only our under-21s, rather, and it's against Port Vale's first team. And don't get me wrong, if we if our under twenty ones beat Port Vale, then you know we'll we'll be properly gloating. But there, there's kind of it's kind of a no lose scenario for for Stoke. Even if Port Vale win five 0 against our under twenty ones, it'll be like yeah, it's our under twenty ones. Who cares? Not a real Potteries derby. Ignore the sold out Vale Park away end. It's not a real Potteries derby. That's not the real quiz. You know, let's just move on with our lives. Speaking of moving on with our lives, then we'll talk about some all the football things, because there has been so little from Stoke and a uh, shot of Saido Berahino scoring against South Sudan and Jack Butland being on England's bench. Uh, there's been a few other football things that we can uh, talk about. And I suppose the main topic of conversation that I've seen on social media anyway is Richard Scudamore receiving a £5 million bonus from Premier League clubs. I believe there were five uh, mentioned as not giving Richard Scudamore that bonus. And uh, I happened to be at the Crew Tramier game yesterday where Tramier fans unveiled a banner saying Scudamore 5 grassroots nil. And I'm interested in this because it just seems to be a football thing that everyone accepts is inherently wrong and kind of a bad product of the modern game. And yet, what what are we going to do about it? No one seems... People are annoyed about it, but no one seems asked to do anything about it. How the hell do we uh, properly show our displeasure with the kind of uh, back-scratching fat-cat cabal that the Premier League and the FA have become? You vote for the for the Labour Party who are going to introduce um, fan ownership onto the boards. And I say that in sort of a tongue-in-cheek vote for Labour pushing the leftist agenda of this podcast um, but it, it, I think that is the only way that things would get done about it if you thought about this happening to the president of the Bundesliga you wouldn't even be able to think about it happening because there's no way on earth those clubs with the 50 plus 1 rule would stand for a substantial amount of money because uh, it's not substantial. Two hundred and fifty thousand pounds for a football club in the football environment we're in at the minute isn't substantial. But when you think about sort of the people employed by these football clubs, who I've been one of, I worked at Brighton for four years, who are getting paid. Uh, Brighton paid quite well, so this isn't a go at them really, but are getting paid less than the living wage to do what is quite hard work at times and those people are essential to the running of the football club if you didn't have them there then football wouldn't be a thing whether that be uh, people working in the ground serving your beers and giving you pies or stewards to protect the safety of fans most of the time 
um, that is a huge amount of money that could go some way to vastly improving their wages and their lives. And it is a bit despicable that so little's been done about it. And I don't know if it's just because there's been no Premier League football at the weekend. I look forward to what the Palace Ultras will do. They'll have a nice fun banner. Maybe they'll get the pig out again. Um, but it really has just sort of gone, oh yeah, by the way, the Premier League are giving um, five million to Scudamore as his golden handshake. Right, next news story, etc. It, it, it's not nice how blasé English football has become to political issues, I think. It just seems ridiculous. It is the must be the biggest leaving present in history. Why couldn't they have just got him in like a nice Tag Heuer watch instead? <laughs> like they're sponsored by the league. Just give him a watch. It's a hell like, of a carriage it, clock, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Five million is ridiculous. I know that I've seen reasons behind why they might be doing it because they're scared of him going to La Liga or Nations League or something like that and being chairman for them. But forcing clubs to spew out this money is really, really poor. And, you know, for a bloke that may that may or may not have done a lot for the league, but does he deserve that amount? He, he got paid to do a job at the end of the day. So... Well, yeah, yeah. Scudamore, in terms of what the Premier League investors want, has probably delivered what they want, hasn't he? He's generated mm. more money for the league, he's generated more media interest and hype and is the biggest league in the world. And in in terms of what they want, he, you know, that they probably don't see any problem with rewarding him for that. But what he has done, he was a big kind of, maybe not advocate, but he certainly planted the seeds of the 39th game idea. And he's kind of overseen an era in which Premier League has become this kind of capitalist nightmare of four to six teams can even have a sniff of winning the Premier League. And everyone else gets shafted. The price of tickets goes up and... You know the the lo- the local lads in Islington can't go and watch Arsenal anymore because because it's fifty quid a ticket. You know local people in Salford can't go and watch Man United anymore because it's fifty sixty quid a ticket. And he's, but I don't know if that crosses Scudamore's radar at all. I don't know if that's his fault, but I I, I just see him as being symptomatic of kind of the problem of English football at at the moment in that everything is skewed towards the the hyper rich and who can make us the most money and the fact that the Tranmere fans did that banner they sold out an away section at, at crew alexandra and they probably didn't pay that much for a ticket didn't you know cost them that much to get there but they are they are so aware of the problem and it doesn't really affect them because League League Two isn't Scudamore's remit. It it's fans of Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea who can't go and see their team anymore because of because of what the beast has become. And Scudamore isn't interested in taming the beast. He's interested in lining his and the Premier League's pocket. Related to that uh, is the idea of fan activism, because it's all well and good seeing this banner at Crew versus Tranmere but are we going to see these banners in Premier League games this weekend and 
should we see more fan activism at clubs like Stoke, which have benefited from the Premier League gravy train in recent years? Uh, I think as yeah, basically, there's all this talk, and especially around the poppy weekend and stuff about how politics should be kept out of football and just come on football is inherently political I don't understand how you can separate the two it's a game that I don't know maybe it's a bit much to say that it like can mirror life and reflect things on like playing styles even that you can compare them to sort of how people think their lives should be run but the clubs who do sort of have that fan activism, they seem to be more engaged in a dialogue with the club. And coming back to Stoke, I feel that that is one of the problems surrounding our relegation. And obviously it wasn't a cause of the relegation. The the, the on-pitch stuff is a cause of the relegation. But I feel as we've come down, there's been a bit of a light sort of um, pointing at the the disparity between our club and the fans a little bit yeah we have the um we have the the, the fan board who meet like every two months or whatever and tell us that Delilah's bar is open after matches but apart from that it it feels like there's a big disconnect at Stoke between the way the clubs run and the fans saying that I, I don't know if I'm being too harsh but yeah that's my view. It seems to me like um, the the club I think of in terms of fan activism and that do fan activism well um, is certainly the impression I get, and I get a very kind of warped impression because I'm on social media and all these things, um, is Newcastle. Newcastle seem to have a lot of fan groups and they seem to have a kind of real kind of fan identity about them and they seem to uh, know that, in general, they can organise people to protest against Ashley and what he's doing to their club. And this isn't to say that, you know, obviously it's a different situation with Stoke. We don't like want to drive Peter Coates out of town because Peter Coates is, on the whole, been a very good thing for Stoke. But it just seems to me that maybe 90% of clubs on a match day, you won't see that kind of sentiment being expressed. And if more clubs held up the the banners Tranmere fans are holding up, we'd maybe see more done. And I'm not trying to say like oh, our Stoke fans are, you know, apathetic or whatever. But th- there's arguments to say that, you know, kind of Stoke fans could be an example because we will be affected by uh, a 39th game or a European Super League or uh, a five million pound Scudamore bonus because Stoke have unwittingly contributed to that Scudamore bonus by being part of the Premier League. If you're a young footballer in in Stoke on Trent, has your have your prospects been improved by that? No, they haven't. If you're a fan of Stoke City and you're on minimum wage or you're not earning a lot of money, are are your chances of seeing football improved by that? Are your kind of uh, prospects improved by that? No, they're not. And Essentially, I I feel like a lot of fan bases kind of accept it as the state of modern football, when really they shouldn't. Uh, Maybe for a club like Stoke, because I guess the culture at the moment is there's none of this activism that you were saying. Like, people turn up to the ground every week, they come to watch a football game and they go away. And that's 
and that's all I think it is. Maybe we should be starting off small, start close to home, put banners out, stuff like put contactless <laughs> machines in a oh. course, and don't stand by the exit to 85 <laughs> minutes. If you do that, if you're that fan standing by the exit at 85 minutes blocking the stairs, I've, I've seen disabled people not being able to get out of there. If you're doing that, shame on you. And that's what the maybe that's how we start we get banners up like that and then maybe in a couple of months we'll work up to this sort of big premier league protest that we want yeah you you, you do raise a good point yeah and like the the 85 minute people standing in the gangways it, it does sound trivial but you do raise a good point that people can't get out there because because a, yeah. a handful of selfish dickheads you know want to leave but don't really want to leave just sit in your seat if you want to watch the match and don't you don't yeah. stand in the gangways, and we're we're less good at kind of self policing ourselves as, as fans. So um, it gets harder to kind of organise any any mass movement. Um, we'll move on to Orphy's questions about uh, Stoke and Stoke fandom then, because uh, one of his questions was: uh, Could a singing section or something similar? work at the Vet365. And this kind of ties into what we were talking about about before because uh, we all want our fans to be not only kind of vocal in terms of, you know, giving the lads a load of support. We also want, you know, proper organised fan movements. We, As much as we mock people like the Crystal Palace Ultras, you get the sense that they're actually doing something for the good of either their club or their community. And I don't really get that sense from Stoke as much. So, what can we do to, uh, like, improve, kind of either the atmosphere or the sense of community around Stoke? I guess the easy answer is safe standing, isn't it? And having a section that um, is obviously standing and therefore would be a bit more raucous and loud and sort of take it upon themselves to maybe represent the Stoke community to the. Um, outward world but yeah I, I I don't know does anyone feel that we don't like have a Stoke community as in the only reason you talk about Stoke fans is because they support Stoke there's not like a cohesive body if that makes any sense and how on earth do you get to that I suppose it, it, I'm just repeating Orphy's question there but yeah I, I just don't feel that at the club at the minute yeah Fan, fan identity is a is an interesting topic and uh, possibly one beyond three people who don't actually live in Stoke. And I get we might we we might be part of the problem because there are, there are limited outlets for Stoke fans. You've got two fanzines, uh, a couple of podcasts, YouTube channel, fan pages, and all the rest of it. And uh, certainly. In terms of the two podcasts, neither of which are actually based in Stoke, and it's it's hard for kind of a, a fan identity to grow. And again, I think of Newcastle as this ideal of a fan identity, but but is that just because they have flags when the team walks out? Is that because they sing songs for Rafa Benitez? Is that because? they're really good at mythologising their own fan base and being like, oh, Newcastle fans are the greatest supporters in the world who get 52,000 every week despite being shite and all the rest of it. Or is it because um, Stoke City is 
not really a community club in that sense. It's hard. We we're not really kind of. We were we were vocal for a period in the Premier League, but in terms of a fan base, we we're just kind of. Yeah, you do get the sense we're just people who happen to appear on a match day. We're not really. Um, we don't really have this identity. Like Huddersfield, for example. You have the section at Huddersfield, which is making noise behind the goal. They're doing really good charity work with food banks and local charities and all the rest of it. And even at Crew Today, there was like a thing about uh, the next week at the ground, we're, we're going to have a, a local food bank. So maybe it's a case that I'm misrepresenting some of the work fans do. But I just I just don't get the sense that we're we're doing all we can to be a, to be a social and football good. Yeah, I mean, perhaps as a club, we're not using our platform to to push for good, as you were saying, being that activist club and making positive change and doing things in the wider community. But I don't know. In terms of a local club, like like I live in Stoke and have done for the majority of my life, and I still get this sense of community, the sense that you're walking around town and it's still Stoke. You still get that. And there's some people, a lot of fans, that live and breathe the club and do reflect that on a match day. I wonder whether the Premier League has slightly uh, helped that to die down by some new fans coming in. And that's why some people were like, oh, it'll be great in the championship. It'll only be the, the hardcore fans there. That obviously hasn't been the case. The the ground's still been as reasonably packed as ever, about kind of like twenty twenty five thousand 25,000 on a match day. Um, the clubs that I sort of sense is, and we touched on it briefly earlier, is like the Bundesliga. I, I went out to see some German games like a couple of years ago. And the sense of... The buzz on a match day was incredible, and I know they're they're very sensitive in what they do for the local area. Like St. Pauli are fantastic in what they do. I've been to see Leverkusen, I've been to see Schalke, I've been to Dortmund, um, and I don't know, just something little that they do over there with their ultras section, their singing section that we ran about earlier, just to make things louder. They elect this sort of orchestrator, like a conductor, and his job for the year is to stand he doesn't watch the game he stands in front of the crowd and he gets the fans going and I tell you what it's fantastic whether you know about this or not as a fan listening I don't know but that's how a lot of these ultra sections get going they have this fan that's elected by other fans and he stands at the club I don't know whether we'd have like Harry Potter sort of waiting about to say our system's a monarchy getting Stoke fans to sing Delilah but but it's it's little things like that that get sort of that community thing started and we possibly haven't had the little kickstarts to get that sense back. I don't know. It's a difficult question, it really is. We'll, we'll move on to perhaps easier ones from Orphy himself, he, who sent us uh, about five questions. Um, your favourite crap Stoke players ever to uh, completely change it. Is it? Is there any... Uh, I mean, we get a fair few crap players down Stoke. But have there been any you thought, well, despite him being crap, I, I do quite like him. Johnny Tex. I, I, but I, I feel bad for even calling him crap because he had a perfect <laughs> record for us. But but aside from the um, like 
memeiness of it. I do think he was just genuinely a lovely bloke um, who seemed delighted to be at our football club, which in recent times we've been lacking in that sort of characteristic. So I bloody loved it when we saw a bit of Johnny Tax when he came on. Yeah, what what dude? Yeah, I'd, I, I've actually met Johnny Tex. I was down at the Burton game and he was sat on the front row. And I went down and said hello and you're right, he's a lovely bloke. He, he almost forgot that he played for the club. I asked him, you're, you're Deonatan, right? You're a Stoke player. He goes, Stoke? Oh, <laughs> yeah, the people yeah, I'm yeah, here yeah, to watch. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and I had a picture with him. Um, I, I guess in terms of crap Stoke players that I really liked... I still really like Manju. I think he's a lovely bloke. We know bits and bobs what he's done on social media. He's, he's that rubbish, but oh. <laughs> he, um, he, he's well. It's weird because I like Mam and I liked Kenwin Jones as well, and people were saying that he was a sack of crap as well. So maybe it's just all the cart or the <laughs> Every around. single Richard Creswell, although he didn't end up playing up front for us. Yeah. Um, Dave. No, I don't like Dave Kitson. Yeah. I didn't like him at all. Bloody secret football nonce. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, you can't you can't just call everyone you don't like a nonce. <laughs> you say that for Twitter. <laughs> On an alternative note, then, good players you hated. Were, were the, Tom, as the resident Joe Allen hater, are there any kind of good footballers you think you may have given a hard time to or... Maybe you just didn't like them for some other reason beside their footballing ability. Um, yeah, you see, you've stumped me there because I was I was going to question you on the, uh, the 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 tense of hated because my example was Joe Allen because fucking hell, I hate him. I don't. I, I do, but I don't. Uh, any other ones who I didn't like? No, not on the spot. Whelan I didn't like for a bit, but I don't think he was very good then, and I still like him for everything else. <laughs> and hate's definitely the wrong word to describe Whelan before my Twitter mentions going mental. I mean, we've definitely had a couple of players who were very good to world-class footballers in their day, but just weren't that at Stoke. Mike Owen and Idiga Johnson being prime examples. Uh Michael, I never hated those people. I didn't. Like, I didn't hate Michael Owen, but I didn't get the point of them being. Yeah, there. I understand that. that. But to hate is quite hate is quite a strong word. The fact that I right, I struggle with this question because it's not the fact that I really hate any players. I don't. But we don't have any good players <laughs> either to hate. So they're all crap. Yeah. The only one I possibly hated for a little bit was Arnautovic when he left us. Yeah. But it, it it turns out now I don't hate him because his disloyalty just isn't exclusively for us. He's going to leave West Ham as well, so I can't even hate him. Yeah. So there, no. There's been a couple of examples of uh, players we've really hated because they've you know gone to a different club when we arguably should have kept them. Graham Kavanagh was the kind of first hate figure that I remember as as a Stoke fan when he went to Cardiff. Uh, Chris Commons, another one, when he went to Nottingham Forest. But yeah, we I'd, yeah, aside from uh, Charlie Adam very regularly when I see him play, I don't really get angry a lot, a lot of Stoke players, but Charlie Adam's presence makes me 
kind of angry. And, uh, you know, we scored those goals against Man United. He scored that goal from the halfway line once. But, yeah, just, no, fuck off, Charlie. I, no, go away. Um <laughs> He will do soon. Soon. Oh, well, sure. we keep saying this. I said this last season and he didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, right, this season we won't see any Charlie Adam. This is the last we'll see of Charlie Adam. Oh, who's this co- Who's this playing against Everton? Oh, oh, here he comes. Uh, oh, 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 there's dear. a red card. Oh, oh, right. Port Vale might see Charlie Adam. <laughs> you can take that. Yeah, no, the, then you can um, break some of them. <laughs> <sighs> Another question from Morphy. How will it feel to beat QPR in Derby and then lose to Reading and Ipswich? Uh, I think he's maybe got this the wrong way round because uh, QPR and Derby are both home games, of course, and Reading and Ipswich, I think, are both away. <laughs> maybe Ipswich is at home. I'm not quite sure about that. But, um, yeah, we've, we've been pretty crap at home. But away from home, we've been uh, stealing these glorious away wins slash points so um i mean don't get me wrong beating Stephen mclaren's qpr and frank lampard's derby would be marvelous but uh with the interesting four games coming up did you see um derby's frank lampard's tree of light that pissed everyone off on twitter as well that was comical <laughs> oh yes <laughs> but yeah beating derby I have um, one specific Derby fan who mentions me every single time they win and we don't. So, you know what? If we beat Derby twice this season, I might take us not winning another game. I hate Derby. (laughs) God, Tom. Your agendas get the better of you, they really do. Would would they're, you? They're going to relegate. Would you take again. us beating Derby if Joe Allen scored the winner in both games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I can downplay a Joe <laughs> Allen goal. Come on, I've done that before. Yeah, you have to think about. That. <laughs> um, but that relates to uh, uh, Orphy's final question, which is: What does not having a genuine genuine rivalry do to the Stoke psyche, uh, and the sense that? Yeah, Port Vale, it's a derby, but it's not a real derby because we haven't played them for 16 years. We haven't really given a shit about them for those 16 years. So who are our rivals now? West Brom, but they care more about Wolves. Derby, but they care more about Forest. Uh, Arsenal, we used to have a rivalry with, but we've been relegated now. So um, do we need an enemy? And if so, who should it be? No, no, no. We don't need an enemy because the fact that we don't have a rival is perfectly fitting because it fits into the psyche of that we are a mundane and unlikable football club. There's no reason for anybody to support us unless you're born here. So, well, apart from you two, maybe. Um, But, I mean, yeah, it completely fits. Who's your rivals? Oh, we don't have any. We just have footballs around for fun. So, like... Yeah, I think it it completely fits. What's your point of existing as a club? Ah, well, I mean, it's something to do on a Saturday. Mm. And on a Wednesday now, luckily, we get double trouble, double mundane. Isn't it good fun? I do quite like the phenomenon of rivalries just being spawned out of circumstance, like, like our Arsenal rivalry was. It wasn't that we were local to Arsenal, it was that we had found a way of getting under their skin in our home matches against them. And 
And that was like by kicking the crap out of one of their best players. Yeah, it, it was fun. And I I think there is the potential for us to be Derby's rivals, maybe, if if Rowett's team and Lampard's team are sort of fighting for the same kind of playoff spot. Um, obviously, we're still yet to play each other, but there's maybe the chance of a... a, a rivalry developing there obviously given Rowett's Derby connection so I, I like them when rivalries come out of nowhere I mean if you speak to Stoke fans who were there in the 90s they say how much they hated Stockport because we had a, a series of running battles with them and it's kind of happened with England on the international stage like I fucking hate Croatia now lads I fucking hate them <laughs> fascist bastard oh, bunch of racists racists and just Dejan Lovren's a mad ass and yeah okay Mod- oh, you've got Luka Modric but uh, yeah just I've, I've, I've grown to loathe the Croatians over recently <laughs> nice place to go on holiday though some, hmm. in some places though, you've so got the Game of Thrones set you've got um, yeah. Split where Stoke went you've got I'm sure it's a lovely country. I just can't stand their their football team. It's like Australia and cricket. Okay. Um, We'll uh, move on to the final thing that I want to talk about. And we don't do this often enough on uh, Wizards is acknowledge other football podcasts exists. Because, God, can you imagine if Wizards was the only football podcast you listened to? Um, But uh, I just wanted to kind of uh, open this question up because I've noticed that uh, the BBC in particular are just going to town on podcasts recently. There seems to be a new one cropping up every week, and uh, pod like if you if you follow a lot of media blogs and stuff, they talk about how our oh, podcasts are taking over the world. You know, bloody podcasts coming over here taking our media jobs and all the rest of it. Um, but I, I just wanted to kind of open the floor up to you guys and. I want to hear what kind of uh, all the podcasts you listen to, whether they be football or not, and just uh, kind of get get a sense of uh, what you guys are into. And obviously, uh, our listeners tweet us at Wizards of Dribble if there's a a big gem that we're missing. I've got a really boring answer so that no one else on, that on. no one else will enjoy. Maybe a niche part of your audience. If you're looking for more stats, people who are much cleverer than me about stats and literally do it for a job, then I heavily recommend the uh, Stats Bomb podcast. They're a stats company, and it's just quite interesting at times listening to them talk. But on a more interesting and talkable about answer, I really like um, Golazzo, the totally football shows, Italian one, where they sort of briefly mention what's gone on in Serie A, that week and then just have a like nostalgia circle jerk of the 90s and how good it was when they all lived in Italy and did that for a job it's just interesting relaxing listening the the stats bomb uh one quite intrigues me because I'm, I'm not really you know hugely into my stats obviously I I appreciate when uh when a good stat can back up my argument but other other than that certainly the stats that don't back up my argument I'm not really that interested in but how how do they kind of uh, play that in terms of a podcast because 
in my head, it runs the risk of being a bit dry. But how, yeah, how, I, I how suppose I suppose they don't really presented. talk about stats now. Actually, thinking about it, they're just people whose outlook on football is driven. Maybe not more by what they see on a, a number of page, but less by the narratives that the media construct and the, the, the storylines and things. They, they actually look at it and take a step back. And so, like, Harry Kane stopped scoring goals and they sort of talked about how his shots have gone down and how it, it all started happening towards the end of last season in April and to keep an eye on whether or not he's going back up and stuff. So I suppose for people who aren't into stats but sort of maybe, I don't know, want to hear like a different take on football, a, a sort of something away from basically churning out what the, the back pages of the uh, papers say every week, I think they, they do quite a good job of tackling like narratives of what's going on. The, the general football podcasts that are out there are usually, you've got your newspaper on, so the Guardian Football Weekly, The Independent, I'm sure The Times and The Telegraph will also be one. Then you've got like the Totally Football Show, which is a kind of offspring of The Guardian, and The Football Ramble, which is independent, but kind of follows the same format as all the others. Um, and I've got nothing against either one in particular, because I like James Richardson. I like the... Max Rushton, Barry Glenn Denning dynamic on the Guardian one, and I and I like I have liked the football ramble for a while, but they seem to all follow the same kind of basic structure of five minutes on whatever the big game was at the weekend. So Man City, Man United, five minutes on the next big game. So it was almost like the match of the day running order, but kind of scaled down in terms of chat. And you've got some that are better at that than others. So. Um, so I'm I'm just kind of bored by the the main the mainstream ones if you like. Uh, I should mention the not the top twenty podcast lads. Uh, we had uh, one of them on the pod uh, in the summer talking about the championship, and I think kind of their insight. They're they're doing really well for themselves because they've established themselves as kind of. Uh, really well respected and kind of unbiased in terms of how they judge football teams and quite often I've listened to them and thought oh you've you've be- either you've been a bit harsh on Stoke there or you've not really talked about Stoke there but every kind of opinion they have is well backed up with data and, and you get the sense that they're being as impartial as they can about 72 teams and they still try and make it entertaining along the way so uh, I think they're uh, a must listen if you listen to us listen to not the top 20 podcast because uh, they're really good uh, Ben are there any other football podcasts we haven't mentioned Um, not particularly football podcasts uh, well apart from probably this one and another Stoke ones uh, uh, ones that I don't really tend to because of what you said the fact that ones like the game and football weekly and football ramble as much as i really liked listening to them when i first heard of them and started listening to them it becomes pretty much the same every week or it seems like and once you've heard one you've pretty much heard them all and i think there's probably a little bit of a space there for someone to do something different with it there's definitely a space of i know that you david's who are your podcast tries to do something really different with 
what happens in a football podcast and and that's you know good and i think more people need to try and figure out a niche um yeah i don't know i i don't listen to a lot just because there isn't that level of individuality between podcasts i think uh have we heard that peter crouch podcast because uh that's a way a lot of the bbc ones have gone uh, uh there's tail enders for cricket as well which has jimmy anderson on that they seem to be like hung around a, a big name guest or player or something. So, uh, Tom, have you listened to that that Peter Crouch podcast and what have you made of it? No, I haven't listened to it once. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you I, haven't listened to that Peter Crouch. Podcast? Yeah, it, I don't know. It's not for me. I'm not really into like that whole banter locker room chat thing i don't know why i just have never it's never taken my fancy so i will politely decline to answer that question that's interesting Mm, yeah because uh i think crouch is one of those footballers who can kind of get away with the banter you don't find it grating because you uh, he seems quite genuine in what he is um in terms of the podcast i think it's good but I think they kind of style it as, you know, this is an insight into, you know, the dressing room and, you know, a modern footballer's life that you don't get anywhere else. But it's not really that much of an insight. And when it is, it's not really that interesting. I'm basically there because A. Crouch is a Stoke player and he might tell me something interesting about Stoke players he's played with. Like on the most recent episode, they did an episode on celebrations and he was talking about how Arnautovic used to wind opposite fans up. And I, you know, I, I enjoyed that bit of it. Um, I, and I like, he's definitely a really likable footballer, Crouchy, um, but I'm just not really um, that sold on the premise that, you know, this is like exclusive, you know, behind closed doors kind of idea of a football podcast so um i should also he needs a tv show for me instead i think yeah rather than a podcast i i don't know it it feels like it fits that sort of genre a bit better a telly show where he could have different people on all the time and visiting clubs if that's what he used to do or having a talk show i know there was whispers like years ago of a tv show that who's going to do a call like on the couch with Peter Crouch. Oh or something. yes, of course. And 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 that never came to light. And you know what? That'd be fantastic for him to do mm. at the back end of the season when he's not playing. Yeah. So he, he yeah. took like a goggle box kind of program. He was good on goggle box yeah, when he, he was on oh, it. Can he just sit there and we'll, yeah? Can he just sit there and like watch <laughs> our game? Can he do that for like <laughs> like Stoke City Plus and just be like, oh, this is shit. Like, what are you doing, mate? Yeah. Bloody Ryan Shawcross. He was there in the dressing room nursing his bruise earlier, and now he's trying to kick the crap out of players. Yeah, he's just a big softy, really. Yeah, uh, and like I said, I, I don't dislike the Peter Crouch podcast, but uh, and uh, one one of them in particular is maybe a bit sycophantic for my taste. And, and I'm speaking to someone who would like love to interview Peter Crouch, and like if we got him on, Wizard be like, "Oh, hi, Crouchy, how are you doing? Will you do the robot, please." Um, <laughs> but uh, and um, I like uh, listening to uh, obviously as part of like preview episodes and stuff, we've had like all the football teams, uh, podcasters come on here and speak to us about their team. And I've subscribed to Fulhamish podcast, which is, 
uh, hosted by one of my mates from uni, Sammy James, and um, he's. And if you if you want to remember what Wizards was like a year ago, listen to the Fulhamish podcast now because uh, phrases like sleepwalking to the championship, no plan, no ideas, those kind of phrases just keep getting used time and time again uh, as Fulham inevitably get beaten week after week. It's just like a nice nostalgia trip of, oh, remember when you, we used to get battered in the Premier League? That was fun. Um but uh, one question we did get on Twitter was, uh, if all political parties had fan podcasts, what would they be called and what would they be like? Now, we did get a few questions, well, a few suggestions that we talk about Brexit and its implications on football in this podcast. And we are <laughs> definitely the least qualified people to talk about that. Uh, oh, although I imagine Tom would have a go. Uh, but... <laughs> no, I'd sit on the fence. Yeah. As he does it, everything. Yeah. Uh, ben, uh, if, if, if the uh, major UK political parties had fun podcasts, and I bet they, I bet they exist, I bet there is a, a, yeah. a Tory fan TV style podcast out there. Oh, what what would they God. be called and, and what would they be like? Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Dave, because it's been something I've thinking about over the last fifteen minutes, and I've written a, <laughs> I've, I've written a couple of descriptions, and I was wondering whether you two could give names to them. Oh God. Um. So I'll start with the Tory Party. It is a Patreon-only podcast, um, with lots of in jokes, and it attempts to be an orderly podcast, but actually it just turns into chaos. Hmm. It, uh, the a name for things. Okay. Right. I, 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 sorry, I, I was too busy, like preoccupied by uh, trying to think of a name that I forgot to laugh at the uh, the initial satire, which was good. I mean, it wasn't funny, so it doesn't help. But so it's so it's a Tory podcast that's kind of subscription only. So it's a bit of a. Well, surely it'd just be called Strong and Stable. It's a conscription. Strong, oh, strong and Surely. stable. The strong and stable yeah. podcast. Yeah, we'll go for that. Okay then. Uh, we'll go for Labour then next. Um, it, it's unsure of its identity. Uh, not everyone likes the host of the podcast, and there's whisperings that it's a little bit inappropriate. The Wizards of Drivel. The, the, the Wizards of Labour. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Right. We'll go for Lib Dem then. It's a podcast that everyone's heard of, but no one really knows anything about, and it relies a lot on collaborations. Uh, very good, lads. Very good. I think we've satirised podcasts as much as they will ever be satirised. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Can't believe I'm missing our celebrity for this. <laughs> oh, Harry's on it. Harry's on it. We'll, we'll, right, we'll wrap up now yeah. then. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for listening to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. We will be back next week, and please, God soak, give us something to talk about. Uh, thank you very much, Tom. Cheers for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, everyone. Go on, Stoke.